peace be with you and stay with you and dwell within you, for we are all in need of some internal peace these days while we live through a less than peaceful time. I am Reverend Dr. Candace Bist, and along with my husband, Bruce Lee, we serve the Shelburne Primrose Pastoral Charge, which consists of two churches in the United Church of Canada in southern Ontario. Next Wednesday, we celebrate Remembrance Day, a day set aside to honor those who died in the First and Second World Wars, and all the wars really before and after. And not just to remember and consider the soldiers who died, but to reflect on those who supported them, loved them, lost them, and carried on in whatever way they were able. And in our United Church faith tradition, we bring this remembrance into our Sabbath gatherings on the Sunday before November 11th, which is our podcast today. This is complicated, as many of you know, and many of you have expressed to me over the years. How can we honor those who are part of the military machine when we follow the Prince of Peace? What place does the remembrance of war have in a Sabbath service that is set aside to offer an atmosphere free from the press of empire? Did not Jesus emphatically move against the idea of the power of empires and the mechanism of orchestrated violence they represented? If Christians are to practice nonviolence in all matters, how then can we participate in any confrontation, let alone the devastation of two world wars, the last of which brought us the Holocaust in which it is well documented that for the most part, with only a few notable exceptions, the Christian Church and Canada collectively turned its back on the Jewish people, a most grievous error. And yet we think on those precious young people in our immediate communities who marched off to war, not to return. We cannot forget them, they were beloved in life and no less in death. Would you forget a sister or brother, a grandfather, a father, simply because over time you had come to see war as not the only means of solving conflict? We remember those we love and those to whom we owe gratitude. We remember them even as we refresh and renew our devotion to peace and reconciliation. Complexity and remembrance requires that we hold ourselves in a place of humility and offer grace. Humility and grace, two core pillars of Christianity and two core virtues for all those working towards a more compassionate world. Humility allows that we do not hold the fullness of knowledge and are therefore open to new understandings and the wisdom others may offer. Grace is the giving of gift in purity with no attachments. We have within our scriptural stories a tale of a centurion, a soldier in need of Jesus' aid, 
we shall see from this interaction with Jesus his humility and Jesus's responding grace. The soldier is our teacher today. May we have the humility to learn from him and be agents of grace. As we walk through this complexity of remembrance, all of you will be well aware of the disarray south of our borders, the chaos spreading as it has through the ethos, the ongoing pandemic and political disruptions do not bring us daily news of ease. So we shall begin with Psalm 91, a reassuring psalm, if ever there was one. Dash your foot against a stone 
worship and prayers come to us from Reverend Dr. Neil Parker, military chaplain at the 4th Canadian Division Training Centre in Meaford, Ontario. Reverend Parker prefaces these prayers with this thought. My deepest hope is that these prayers, many of which seem to contradict each other and lead in opposite directions, might represent the fullness of our complex and complicated relationship with war, violence, justice, peace, and sacrifice. I cannot imagine a more challenging place to minister than in the military. But Oswald Chambers, who wrote the quintessential Christian devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, was a military chaplain in World War II, and I cannot imagine a more comforting presence to young men in distress than Chambers' wonderful Christ-soaked presence. So with grateful thanks to those who offer support where it would be most difficult to do so, we gather and pray together. Across Canada, these same thoughts and prayers are offered. We stand in unity with all others who hold them sacred, whether in words or deeds, knowing they are prayers or not. Hear our call to worship. On this day of remembrance, O God, we give thanks for peacekeepers and pacifists, for those who served on the front lines and those who protest and march for those who volunteered and for those who waited anxiously at home, for those who hoped that things would get better and those who could not stand by and wait. We give thanks for those who believed that the world could be a better place. We remember those who paid the ultimate sacrifice, trusting that others could and would carry the torch. And we give thanks for those who were once enemies, who have now become friends and allies. Let us pray. O God of life and death and life beyond life, we confess our love of quick and simple solutions. We avoid complexity in favor of simple, and shallow answers. We prefer slogans to solutions. We are too prone to look back after setting our hand to the plow. We do not want to commit to the long haul. When we reflect on our history of the things that make for peace and the things that make for war, we confess that we have resorted to violence instead of the hard work of seeking just and fair solutions. And then at other times, we have been reluctant to hold others to account and have ignored injustice and even cruelty. Forgive us for our unwise use of our own power. 
Oh, gracious one, we confess that we have been afraid. We have been indecisive when others' lives were threatened, too concerned about politics and precedent. At other times, we have been quick to jump in, assured of our own righteousness and the justness of our cause. We have too often prayed to you to support our own prejudices and goals. Forgive us and give us courage to seek peace with justice in your world, wherever that may lead us. Amen. After the last tear falls, after the last secret's told, after the last bullet tears through flesh and bone, after the last child starves and the last girl walks the boulevard, after the last year that's just too hard, there is love. After the last disgrace After the last lie to save some face After the last from a poison tongue After the last dirty politician After the last meal down at the mission After the last lonely night in prison There is love See how the tears that have fallen were caught in the fall. 
to as Remembrance Day began over a century ago with its first observance in 1919 throughout the British Commonwealth. Called Armistice Day, it marked the agreement to end the First World War on Monday, November 11, 1918 at 11 a.m., the 11th day of the 11th month at the 11th hour. Armistice is from the Latin arma, arms, and sister, stand still. After a long, bloody five-year battle, which turned Europe into a muddy graveyard, the hush of silence on the original Armistice Day must have been profoundly moving. And it still is today in our busy, noisy world, where for one small moment, We all stand collectively still and are simply silent. We will mark this time in our service this morning. From 1921 until 1930, Armistice Day was held on the Monday of the week closest to November 11th. But in 1931, a special national holiday was set aside for the newly renamed Remembrance Day, on November 11th. Each year, we stop to remember the more than 2,300,000 Canadian soldiers who have served throughout our nation's history and the more than 118,000 who have died. And as our worldview shifts and we widen the circle of understanding to include the collateral damage of war, we remember honor, and reflect upon the many ways beside death that people have suffered from the ravages of war, the orphans and widows it creates, the devastation to the natural environment, the pollution, the economic disarray, the despair and depression, the hope that is so often extinguished wherever violence walks. Traditionally, at our Remembrance Day services, we read the well-known poem, In Flanders Fields, written by John McRae, who is honoured at our war memorial in Ottawa. McRae was born in Guelph, Ontario, and served as a gunner in the South African War. He was later a physician and a professor of medicine at McGill University in Montreal. McRae enlisted quickly at the outbreak of the First World War, hoping for a position as a gunner, but doctors were in short supply, and he accepted an appointment as a surgeon in an artillery brigade. At the Second Battle of Ypres in April 1915, McRae spent 17 days caring for the wounded and performing surgery on Canadian and Allied troops. Exhausted and saddened by the death of a close friend, 
he composed In Flanders Fields during a brief rest. It immediately achieved worldwide recognition. There are some who criticize this little set of verses. It does not depict, as other works do, the horror of war, as does, say, the poem Dulce et Decorum Est, or Picasso's well-known panorama of death, Guernica. But this slim little poem offers a wide, deep view that is worth noting. It softens the line between life and death, seeing death as an extension of life and life an extension of death. And in this, it certainly reflects a deeply spiritual worldview. It does not state that the torch that is tossed to us be part of perpetuating war, only that we are the ones who must carry on the pursuit of humanity, and hopefully that pursuit is more focused on the making of peace than of war. One day, let us hope that in Ottawa there is not only a war museum, but a peace museum. In Flanders Fields In Flanders Fields the poppies blow, between the crosses, row on row, that mark our place, and in the sky, the larks, still bravely singing, fly, scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved, and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders' fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you from failing hands we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' fields. Words of Remembrance They shall grow not old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun, and in the morning, we shall remember them.
we observe silence for one moment in remembrance. Eternal rest grant unto them, O God, and may perpetual light shine upon them. May the souls of the righteous, through your great mercy, rest in peace. Amen. That song, Danny Boy, imagines an older father saying goodbye to his son going off to war. Such a poignant melody. Bruce and I will forever associate this song with Paul Boone, who has sung it in the past at our Remembrance Day services. You may wish to know that Paul is safely back home and recuperating from his knee surgery, so we send our little instrumental Danny Boy out to Paul, a strength for the journey. I have come to see that the challenge of combining a Sunday morning Christian service with a Remembrance Day service brings us to the matter of grace and how we live out that grace. At the heart of the Christian faith 
is not belief, but practice. It is a faith of living out, of working out. It is a faith of being in this world and seeing it through a different lens. This takes a continual softening of the heart as we are learning in our practicing compassion work and a continual drawing ourselves into the moment. And when one does this, there is given the gift of freedom and peace. If you watch in literature and movies, songs and stories, you will note that the characters who live in a place of grace are always free. What does grace look like? It looks like the way Jesus walks through the world. Does he have his moments of frustration, of sorrow, even error? Yes, perhaps. But mostly he is able to stay grounded and present and simply ask, what are you going through and how can I help? And we see this movement beautifully in Jesus' encounter with a Roman soldier in the story that is known as the healing of the centurion's servant. We look at the grace in Jesus and we see the humility in the character of the soldier. There is complexity in Remembrance Day. There is complexity in our gospel stories. There is complexity in life, which is why Humility and grace are so important. Humility allows us to claim neither more nor less than who we are. And grace insists that we stand in the moment of complexity and concern ourselves with the problem at hand, the connection between ourselves and the person or situation in front of us. It is not insignificant that the centurion's story comes after the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus has instructed his followers to love their enemies. This would have been a hard teaching for people who lived devoted to their own tribes and were generally antagonistic to those outside it. And a Roman centurion was clearly an outsider. But Jesus has declared we are to love our enemies, and this is exactly what he does. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 13. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, appealing to him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible distress. And he said to him, I will come and cure him. The centurion answered, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard him, he was amazed and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and will eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, 
while the heirs of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you according to your faith. And the servant was healed in that hour. In the Gospel stories and the book of Acts, there are several references to centurions, and they are always surprisingly positive views. I say surprisingly because a centurion was, after all, a soldier in the Roman army, and the Roman army was a finely tuned mechanism of violence that oppressed the Jewish people and oversaw Jesus' crucifixion. Centurions get their name from Centuria, Latin for 100, though in fact they oversaw between 80 to 120 men, depending on the circumstances. They could achieve their rank by appointment from the Roman Senate or the Emperor or their comrades, but mostly they achieved their position by working their way up through the ranks managing through skill and good fortune not to get themselves killed in battle. Centurions were commanders with heavy responsibility and authority. They trained soldiers, handed out their assignments, and oversaw their discipline. They organized the movement and setting up of camps, escorted prisoners and procured supplies for an army on the move. Centurions also took the front lines in battle, leading their men. They were, by necessity, men of courage, capability, and command. So what the centurion declares in this gospel story is true. He has much authority, and those who are under his command do his bidding. But look a little closer at the centurion. Lay aside the fact that he is a soldier, lay aside the fact that he kills people as a job. Firstly, he is concerned for those in his care. He is worried about a servant. Why should he bother himself about a servant? And the Greek word used here implies it is a child servant. Why should he concern himself with such a detail in his household? Is it possible He is tender of heart? What is the life of a servant child to a man of importance and standing, a man who has earned his position as a warrior? Yet he is concerned, and he brings his concern to Jesus, which is also remarkable. It tells us that there are those outside the Jewish circles that valued what Jesus was doing. Jesus does not quarrel with the idea that it is a Roman soldier that is asking for help. He does not initiate a teaching on the perils of war. He simply responds, Yes, I can help, and furthermore, I can do that right now. The centurion, a man who wields authority himself, is so sure of Jesus' command as well as the importance of his work, that he does not wish Jesus to trouble himself to come to his home, nor does he feel, despite his considerable accomplishments, that his home is a worthy place for this man he so admires 
and believes in. You can just say the word and he will be healed, declares the centurion. And Jesus, who is not amazed very often, is amazed at the centurion's faith. Jesus was amazed and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. I am betting that many of those who heard about Jesus healing the servant of a Roman soldier were angry. There are many today who may be irritated at this idea that the Prince of Peace should cater to a person of war. But this is a very small view and not the view of the one we follow. What concerns Jesus should concern us, and what is of no concern to Jesus should not concern us. Jesus here concerns himself with the work at hand, healing. Someone comes to him in humility and asks for help. Jesus responds with grace. He knows that life and death and peace and war are complex issues. He knows even today, Remembrance Day is a complex issue. But he knows that each person is precious and each person is a child of God. Those who died and suffered through war are the beloved of God, no matter what nation they lived in, no matter what they did or did not do on the battlefield, they are still loved. We remember them and honor them, not because we venerate war, but because we weep when the children of God are lost and we mourn with all those who feel that loss. And perhaps we offer as grace, as gift, our desire to find ways to live more peacefully with the hope and the prayer that no more of God's precious ones may die through violence. May it be so. Up the hill 
asking for the buried treasure, tons of gold for which they killed. There came an answer from the mountain, with our brothers we will share all the secrets of our mountain, all the riches buried there. So go ahead and hate your neighbor, go ahead and cheat a friend. Mr. Jamie McAlpine is for you, who sang it outside the front of the church there last week and knew all the lyrics. I'm imagining you singing along with Bruce. Our search committee continues to search out new leadership for our church. Our care groups continue to keep an eye on everyone as best they can. And you are all, I hope, looking after yourselves as best you are able Remember the humility of our centurion and ask for help if and when you need it. Be as specific as he was. It is always easier for the giver. Are you sad and you would like a phone call? Ask. Are you concerned about a personal matter? Ask for counsel. Do you have a gift to offer in the way of time or skill? Offer it. The church is not our building. It never has been. The church buildings, properly understood, do not belong to us anyway. We are only their custodians. Church buildings are neighborhood commons used by us on Sunday mornings and open to all who have need of them at other times. The heart of the church has always been in the heart of its people. This week, as our country and others mark November 11th as a day to remember war, we remember also that we are called not only to look back in remembrance and gratitude, but to look forward with hope and vision. May you hold the complexity of this time with fortitude and, above all, grace. 
Our closing prayers are adapted from Reverend Neal's beautiful writing as he ministers in the midst of the complexity of remembering the dead, caring for the living, and hoping and praying for those working towards peaceful solutions. Let us pray together. O God of hosts, God who calls us to be engaged in the world, we pray for those who are serving in our armed forces, soldiers, sailors, air personnel, and those who provide support for them. We pray for clerks and gunners, navigators and parachute packers, infantiers and public affairs officers. We pray for those who care for those who fight, for mental health nurses, doctors and chaplains. We pray for those who put themselves in harm's way, for search and rescue technicians, for those engaged in mine clearing, for those in the air and on the high seas. And in the midst of the pandemic, we pray particularly for doctors and nurses, technicians, researchers, all those who work to care for those who are infected, risking as they do their own health. Keep them safe in their tasks. Keep them virtuous in their calling. Preserve them from danger and return them to those who love them. We offer to you, O God, our prayers for those who seek justice and resist evil. We pray for those who need your presence and strength to stand firm, for those who are opposed to the use of violence in any form in faithful response to the Prince of Peace. We pray for those who are prepared to be firm to protect those in danger. We pray for those who walk with others who need strength. We pray for those who speak the unpopular truth who protect the unpopular victims, who choose the unpopular path of peace. We pray for those who do not let their desire for peace hinder the requirements of justice, and for those who do not let their zeal for justice override the call for peace. O oh God of every human being, forgive when we identify our kin too easily as enemies. Teach us to seek the good of all and not only our own. When our cousins are acting unjustly or causing harm, help us to constrain them without hatred, without evil thoughts, and to seek their good even as we resist the damage they may have caused. We pray that those to whom we are opposed may be turned from enemy to friend. We pray that in our cause we may not fall into sin, so convinced of our own righteousness that we are unaware of our error. We pray that we are not so distracted by another's error that we cannot be convinced of their value as children of God. May we always remember your willingness to forgive and to bless and to call the most unlikely of saints. Amen.
don't get love I don't get life There's only struggle There's only strife This world. 